As human beings, we have both minds and bodies. Our bodies are equipped with nerves, which allow us to experience both physical pain and pleasure. Our minds are equipped with the ability to reason between mental experiences of both pain and pleasure, and to decide which types of experience we wish to have or avoid. While the experience of pain and pleasure is universal, our understandings of it and our interpretations of it are varied. In the ancient Hebrew creation story, which we're all familiar with, pain and pleasure are key elements of the narrative. Eden is a place of pleasure, a type of paradise with untarnished natural beauty and abundant natural resources where no one has to kill anyone or anything else in order to survive, since the humans have enough grain and fruits to eat, and the wild creatures have enough grass and leafy plants to consume. The humans have each other for companionship and are not threatened in any way by either animal predators or viruses or natural disasters. After the first humans eat the forbidden fruit, they receive divine judgment and are punished by being expelled from Eden. And furthermore, they are cursed with having to experience pain. In that story, the woman is punished by having trouble in pregnancy and pain in giving birth, as well as having to be subject to her husband. While the man is punished by having to work hard all of his life to cultivate the earth in order to make it produce enough food to survive, though the ground has now been cursed with weeds and thorns. Through hard labor and sweat, the man will have to work hard to harvest what he can from the earth, and when he dies, he will go back to that same earth and become soil. Whatever one thinks of this ancient story, it does offer a sobering and perhaps realistic assessment of the world as we know it, in which whatever pleasure we experience in this world, whether in the food that we eat, or the gardens that we admire, or the birthdays that we celebrate, none of these would have been possible without some degree of painful and arduous effort. Of course, the ancient Israelites weren't the only people to consider the meaning of the presence of pain in human lives. For the ancient Greeks, pain was personified by Pina, the goddess of revenge, who according to mythology was sent to punish the mortal fools who had displeased the heavenly beings. It's from the name of this ancient goddess, Pina, that we've derived our English word pain as well as the word subpoena, which means under penalty. In many ancient cultures and for many people still today, because bodily torment can feel so especially brutal, it can be interpreted as feeling like a kind of divine vengeance, which is why in many ancient cultures, in the absence of modern medical theories, pain and disease were thought to be a punishment for human vice and recklessness. In this belief system, humans tried to appease angry deities with rituals like magic, votive offerings, and the use of scapegoats, 
which were sacrificial animals that carried the sins of people out into the wasteland. Of course, for our ancient forebears, pain was easy to understand when it was visible, like the pain one has due to a cut or scrape. But they didn't understand it as well when the pain was internal. While a cut or scrape can be easily attended to in order to relieve the pain, an invisible injury like a headache or stomach ache was less straightforward to deal with. In some cultures, rattles, gongs, and other devices were believed to frighten painful evil spirits out of a person's body. In some cultures, there were ancient doctors who hypothesized that their patients needed a hole in their head in order to remove the pain from their bodies. For that reason, archaeologists worldwide have discovered hundreds of skulls with small holes in them which have partially healed over, some of the most prominent of which have been found at ancient Inca sites. Even Hippocrates, the ancient Greek physician who is considered the father of Western medicine, wrote about this ancient practice called trepanation. Hippocrates also heard about the pain-relieving benefits of willow bark and leaves from other earlier cultures, and he prescribed chewing edible willow leaves to women in childbirth in order to relieve the pain. Surprisingly, this ancient prescription actually had merit since we now know that willow trees contain a form of salicylic acid, which is an um, active anti-inflammatory agent in aspirin. While pain has been an integral part of understanding human existence since ancient times, pleasure has been less central to human-created belief systems. A few exceptions include a passage found in the ancient Babylonian poem, The Epic of Gilgamesh, written in the third millennium before the Common Era, in which one of the characters named Shaduri offers this piece of advice. Fill your belly, day and night make merry. Let days be full of joy. Dance and make music day and night. These things alone are the concern of humanity. This advice is not too dissimilar to what the ancient Hebrew writer of the book of Ecclesiastes expressed when he wrote, I am convinced that we should enjoy ourselves because the only pleasure we have in this life is eating and drinking and enjoying ourselves. We can at least do this as we labor during the life that God has given us in this world. About a century after these words were written, the ancient Greek sage Epicurus, whose words we heard in the reading, also advocated for a kind of ethical hedonism. According to Epicureanism, the highest good in life is pleasure. To Epicurus, this was actually self-evident since both human and animal behavior demonstrates that creatures are naturally driven to avoid pain and maximize pleasure. While Epicurus was denounced by other Hellenic schools of philosophy, as well as by monotheistic theologians after him who saw him as a heretic, 
What's often mistaken by critics is that pleasure is not defined by carnal pleasures, but instead he defined pleasure as the absence of suffering. Pleasure is the absence of suffering. As Epicurus said in his letter to Menoceus, the pleasant life is not the product of one drinking party after another, or of sexual intercourse with women and boys, or of the seafood and other delicacies afforded by a luxurious table. On the contrary, it is the result of sober thinking, namely investigation of the reasons for every act of choice and aversion and elimination of those false ideas about the gods and death, which are the chief source of mental disturbances. However you define pleasure for yourself, how much importance should we impart to obtaining and maintaining pleasure? The value of pleasure and whether or not we should consider it the supreme value is something that contemporary philosophers continue to debate. An example of this comes from the 20th century American philosopher Robert Nozick, who is both an author and professor at Harvard University. In 1974, he wrote a book titled Anarchy, State, and Utopia, in which he devised a thought experiment called the experience machine. As discussed in the book and a recent TED talk, imagine if you could plug your brain into a machine that would bring you ultimate pleasure for the rest of your life. If you were given the choice to sign up for that kind of existence, would you? The experiment asks us to consider a world in which scientists have developed a machine that would simulate real life while guaranteeing experiences of only pleasure and never pain. The catch is that you have to permanently leave reality behind, but you'll hardly know the difference. Your experiences will be indistinguishable from reality. Life's natural ups and downs will just be replaced with an endless series of ups. The experiment was actually designed to refute the philosophical notion of hedonism, the belief that maximizing net pleasure is the most important thing in life because pleasure is the greatest good that life has to offer us. For hedonists, the best choice that a person could make is one that brings oneself the greatest possible amount of pleasure while bringing no pain. Limitless pleasure minus zero pain equals maximum net pleasure, or in other words, the exact scenario which the experience machine offers. Therefore, if hedonism is one's philosophy of choice, plugging in would be an obvious choice. But what if there's a higher good than pleasure? That's what Nozick believed he was demonstrating through his experience machine thought experiment. Despite the machine's promise of maximum net pleasure, Nozick still found reason not to plug in, as do many other experimenters who consider the proposition. But what could possibly dissuade someone from choosing a future of ultimate pleasure? 
Nozick went on to write that he bets most people would not choose to plug into the experience machine and have a, a future of endless ultimate pleasure for three main reasons. Reason one, quote, first, we want to do certain things and not just have an experience of doing them. In the case of certain experiences, it is only because first we want to do the actions that we want to experience the experience of doing them, or at least of thinking that we've done them. Reason two, we want to be a certain way, to be a certain sort of person. Someone floating in an experience machine tank is an indeterminate blob. There is no answer to the question of what a person is like who has been long in the tank. Is he courageous? Is he kind? Is he intelligent, witty, loving? It's not merely that it's difficult to tell. There's no way that he is. Plugging into the machine is a kind of suicide, he said. And reason three, plugging into an experience machine limits us to a man-made reality, to a world no deeper or more important than that which people can construct. There is no actual contact with any deeper reality, though the experience of it can be simulated. Of course, having said that, I can imagine one other reason, which is that given modern humanity's experience with the flaws of machines, I think there's enough skepticism about the infallibility of machines to make someone think twice about being permanently plugged into a pleasure machine. As modern people, more than ever, we have many methods of reducing pain and increasing pleasure. And while no experience machine like the one that Robert Nozick proposed currently exists, I could imagine that with further development of virtual reality, some version of it could exist in the future. As people of faith, we acknowledge that the world we live in contains pain. And we also recognize that there are also aspects of this life which we can enjoy with pleasure, which we have also evolved to experience. These pleasures can include the experience of truth, the acquisition of wisdom and knowledge, and the possibility of authentic human connection with other beings. Regarding these virtues and pleasures, there is no such law against them. Hi, and welcome to Getting the Message, where we dive a little bit deeper into the themes of today's service. Today's service was a special one about pain, featuring the Reverend Mark Cotolo, one of our affiliate ministers. Mark, it's so great to have you here today. Great to be here. Even amidst all of your transit woes and our technology woes. Yeah, uh, we pushed through. We, we made it through. We made it through the pain. Yeah, we did. <laughs> so, Mark, pain and pleasure, you know, quite the quite the topic. Yep. Um. Uh, I know, you know, when I sat down to come up with like a time for all ages for the young folks, I'm like, okay, gonna have to think think on this one for a second. What inspired this topic for you? 
What inspired me was actually a TED talk that I saw online. Um, the TED talk was about a 20th century philosopher, um, Robert Nozick, who um, worked at Harvard University and wrote a couple books. And he came up with this thought experiment that um, would prove his idea that there actually is something in this life that's greater than pleasure. As human beings, we are naturally attracted to pleasure. And it's not just human beings, animals right. are too. We try to reduce the amount of pain we experience and maximize the amount of pleasure we experience. Right. But what he wanted to do is he wanted to go a step further and say, there's something in this life that's more valuable than pleasure. And so he created this experiment, and this is what was talked about in the TED Talk, um, that um, he created this, uh, it's called an experiment machine. Some people call okay. it a pleasure machine. And the idea is you would, um, you you know, maybe one day in the future, scientists will develop this machine and you could plug your brain into it and you would um, basically live in a kind of simulated reality. You wouldn't be able to tell that it wasn't reality, right. but you would only have pleasurable experiences. Life would only be ups and ups, not no downs. And so through this experiment, he tried to show that actually, even though this sounds interesting and even though a hedonist would say, yeah, it's a no brainer, you should definitely do this. Yeah. There actually would be reasons why you might not want to do this and why pleasure, therefore pleasure is not the greatest good. So that, that Ted talk really inspired me. And I thought there might be some, you know, spiritual religious implications to that. And why don't we talk about it? Oh, definitely. Um, you know, and I think um, on the on the counter side of like to that, the pleasure experiment, having grown up in um, evangelical fundamentalist world, which is yeah. very big on the pain is suffering. Jesus suffered and so should you. Pain, pain, pain. Pain is right. good. This world is evil. Pain, pain, pain. Yeah. You know, that exclusively one or the other seems to be a very limited way to approach things. Yeah. And I think as people of faith, I think it's important to acknowledge that on the one hand, to be realistic, yes, in this life, we experience pain. There is no doubt about that. And, you know, some of the religious you know, stories and right. uh, messages that we, you know, it is helpful in the sense of it is realistic. Like we can't ignore the fact that painful experiences happen in this life and we have to acknowledge them and accept that they exist. On the other hand, as people of faith, we also have to acknowledge that we have evolved to also experience pleasure in this life. Right. And how do we um how do we make sense of that? Right. You know, I um in in homeschool attitude, we are we're covering the Greek gods and oh yeah. Right. Maybe a little bit of a of you know a pagan approach myself. Yeah. Um and you know, I think of Dionysus uh -huh. as you know the mm -hmm. um, very much the the um, the pleasure god, the wine and enjoying the pleasures of life. Oh yeah, um, oh, yeah. And, and, you know. and and on the flip side of Dionysus, I didn't talk about Dionysus in my sermon, but yeah. I did talk about the flip side is um, the ancient Greek goddess Pina, and mm. Pina was the um, goddess of pain and revenge, and so we actually got our human word for pain from, from Pina, mm -hmm. and then also the um, term Sapina. Um, which means literally under penalty. We got that from the goddess. Ooh, isn't that interesting? It is. I, said, I uh, you know, in, in another career, I would have gone into like studying what is it when you study etymology? Yeah, etymology. Yeah, studying etymology. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's fascinating where we get where these words evolve from. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, and but the thing was is that they one of the things that I appreciate the more I study like the ancient myths is that they saw the wide range yeah. of human experiences. I'm working through a, a new. Um, translation of the Iliad, um, just released yeah, last Homer, week. Um, Emily Wilson, I think, is the translator. Uh, I'm like 10 pages in, uh -huh. also like 60 pages of the introduction explaining oh. all the themes and the translator's choices. Oh, yeah. Um, which is equally as high. But, it, you know, 
the Iliad, and even like the Odyssey too, mm -hmm. like the a lot of these literatures, they focus on how complicated life is that, mm -hmm. you know, they're seeking this great glory in this war, but then there's also like this pain, but then there's also like the excitement and, you know, life life is messy and complicated. Absolutely. And I think all of our ancient stories do, which is why in the sermon, I also talked about um, you know, the creation myth from the first two chapters of Genesis, right. because in that story, you know, we have, it's about pain and pleasure. Eden is pure pleasure. Right. No one dies. No one has to kill anyone or anything else in order to eat. Everything's um, provided. Everything is provided. Right. And then afterwards, what's the consequence of the divine judgment is pain. Well, now you have to till the earth in order to eat. And it's not going to be easy because you're going to have to work really hard. Right. And there's going to be thorns and weeds uh, in the ground. And, and you may not get a good harvest and you may go hungry. And eventually at the end of it, you're going to die and turn into soil too. So there's pleasure and there's pain. Um, so I think a lot of our ancient stories were very realistic about the right. fact that yes, human beings have both of these experiences. Right. It's, you know, uh, it's part of being human. And as, as you use, we, yeah, we, um, I've been doing a lot of thinking uh, with, especially with conversations around like Article Two and all the changes sure. that's oh, bringing yeah. about. What, what does it mean to be UU? And I think yep. that one of the things that UUs do well is that we honor the human experience. That, that we try to be realistic about the life that we have. Right. Yeah, I yeah. agree with that. And that, that that gives us the opportunity to then have a more expansive spiritual practice if we can acknowledge yeah. the entirety of our existence. Yeah, I hope so too. I think so. What, you know, as a final, maybe a slightly more simple question, uh, was there any other, you know, obviously we talked about like the creation story, we talked mm -hmm. about this uh, TED talk, mm -hmm. was there any other resources that you kind of drew from as you worked on preparing this message? Yeah, I've also, I'm really interested, I'm interested in ancient Greek philosophy. And so um, one of the philosophers I'm really interested in is Epicurus. And so um, our reading today was actually from Epicurus's leading doctrines. And I also, you know, talk a little bit about Epicureanism, which, um, you know, a lot of people think is, um, when people say talk about Epicureanism today, they think it's about like eating good food and drinking good wine and maybe like even indulging in good food and that. But um, that's kind of a misunderstanding of his philosophy that actually his philosophy said that pleasure is the most important um, virtue, most important thing in the world. But pleasure is the absence of suffering, the absence of pain. Mm. It's not about um you know, constant like sensory overload, right. or drinking too much, pleasure. selfish pleasures, carnal pleasures, drinking too much, eating fancy food. That's not really what it is. Um, it's about some of the more simple things like appreciating the truth, appreciating wisdom, appreciating human relationships. Right. Um, like those are things and, and the absence of suffering. So I highlighted that because that was also an inspiration. Oh. Think about how do we understand pleasure in this life? Adding that to my read list. Yeah. I yeah. don't have I can, I can lend you my literature. book. <laughs> Well, Mark, thank you for being with us today. And You're welcome. And thank you for sharing about pain and pleasure. My pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you to all of our listeners. <laughs>